So our scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, from chapter 15, verses 1 through 28. And so hear now the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which I received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjugation under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjugation, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjugation under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be suggested to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Owen Lee. Owen serves as the senior pastor of Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Centerville, Virginia. He uh, is a graduate of Berkeley, as well as getting his MDiv at Westminster Seminary. And before his call to serve as a senior pastor of Christ Central in 2012, he served as the English ministry pastor at New Life Mission Church in Fullerton from 2000 to 2002. And then after that, he served as a church planning pastor of New Life Mission Church in Burbank from 2002 to 2011. 
And if some of those church names sound vaguely familiar, that is because that is also where our lead pastor, Jeff Sir, served as well. And so we've kind of buried the lead because Owen is the OG of pastors around here at New Life. Jeff was actually, I confirmed this morning, first ordained, right, under Owen as a pastor in ministry. And so I'm sure we can blame all of Jeff's success on Owen, and he takes credit for none of Jeff's failures. So uh, with him this morning is his lovely wife, Margaret. They have three children together, Abby, Caleb, and Lizzie. And he also serves as the director for the Korean American Leadership Initiative and the Ministry of Mission to North America in our denomination. So please give a warm welcome to Owen Lee. Good morning. It is a privilege and a joy to be with you all this morning. And I'm just so grateful and glad to hear that Pastor Jeff is on sabbatical so that he might have an extended uh, season of rest and refreshment with his family. I'm sure they're having a great time in Korea right now. Uh, Pastor Jeff and I, we go way, way back. I knew Jeff when he was a college student and I was a college pastor. In fact, it was at a college uh, ministry retreat that I was leading where Pastor Jeff sensed the call into ministry. Uh, so I've known Jeff uh, since the very beginning of his, of his call into ministry. And then he also served with me as a pastoral intern and helped me plant uh, New Life Mission Church in Burbank. And um, that was back in 2002, so almost exactly 20 years ago, because we started the first Sunday of August of 2002, so it's been almost exactly 20 years, and, um, and he was with me for about two years or so. Uh, he and Helen were so dedicated. Uh, they had just had Megan, their firstborn, and they drove all the way from San Diego up to Burbank every Sunday, which was about a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive one way uh, to help me plant this church. Uh, so Jeff would tell me that uh, Helen would nurse Megan before the drive, and then after that three-hour drive, get to Burbank and would nurse her again. Uh, so that's how dedicated they were to help start a gospel-centered church in Burbank. And now it's just amazing and so awesome to see this amazing church that he has planted and, and pastored so faithfully for these many, many years. I can't tell you how much I love and respect Pastor Jeff. Uh, he's a gem, and you all are so blessed to have him and Helen serve you as a pastoral couple here. So please treat them well. So a few years ago, or a few, a few months ago, I went to the Vincent Van Gogh exhibit in D.C., the Immersive Experience. Uh, I believe that exhibit is here in L.A. now. Um, I'm not much of an art guy. I'm more of a sports guy. Uh, recently, during COVID, I picked up golf, and I got the bug pretty bad, so I love golf. Uh, but, but I love my wife, and so I went with her uh, to look at some pictures <laughs> or paintings. And I learned a few things at that exhibit. First, I learned that Van Gogh created a lot of art. He was not only an artistic genius, but he was incredibly prolific. He only worked for about 10 years, but he produced over 900 paintings and many more sketches and, and, and drawings, which means that he produced a new work about one every 36 hours. That, that's amazing. Second, I also learned that he got famous only after he died. His art was not celebrated or well-known or desired while he was alive. It was only after he died that he got famous. So he never knew how much the world would appreciate and revere his work. 
And third, I learned that he lived a very short life. Uh, he died at the age of 37 by suicide. He lived a very short life and a very sad life. And there was a quote by Van Gogh that's, uh, that was on the wall that struck me, and he said this, sadness will last forever. Now, I know that it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? That sadness, especially if you're in the middle of it, will last forever. Now, I know that today is not Easter, but I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I think as Christians, it's good for us to think often about the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead tells us that Van Gogh was wrong. It tells us that sadness will not last forever. You see, the message of the gospel tells us that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but that he will also return one day. And when Jesus returns, he will make all things right and all things new. You see, on that day, death will be swallowed up by life, and suffering will be swallowed up by glory, and sadness will be swallowed up by joy. You see, as Christians, we long for the day when Jesus will come again to renew and restore the whole world. You know, as I get older, I can't tell you just how much more I begin to long for the resurrection, uh, not, not only my own resurrection, but the resurrection of all things, when this broken and fallen world will become all that it was supposed to be. Um, uh, we read uh, uh, Paul's letter to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in this chapter, the Apostle Paul wrote about the resurrection and its meaning and its implications. And, and here's a, a simple outline of my sermon today, three points. First, uh, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Second, the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus. And third, the hope of our own resurrection, which is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. So let's start with this first thought, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, some people believe that Jesus is a mythical and legendary figure, that he did not really exist in human history, and that religious people made Jesus up uh, and wrote legendary and moralistic tales about him so that they might control and, uh, and oppress people. But it is an indisputable historical fact that a man named Jesus really lived and that he had a preaching and healing ministry in Israel about 2,000 years ago. And it is also an indisputable historical fact that this Jesus died by crucifixion during the time when Pontius Pilate was the governor, the Roman governor of Judea. And the day that this Jesus was put to death on a cross has been come to known as Good Friday. And he is the reason why there are hundreds of thousands of Christian churches around the world today, and those are indisputable historical facts. But what is disputed as historical fact is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Many people who believe that Jesus was a real historical figure still deny that the resurrection actually happened, and they try to provide some alternate theories to explain these resurrection legends which led to the rise of so many Christian churches. But there are also millions of people throughout human history and to this day who believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, and those people are called Christians. Now, there are two main evidences for the resurrection of Jesus, both of which are themselves historical facts. The first evidence is the 
empty tomb. You see, on the first Easter Sunday morning, three days after his death, some women went to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his body. They expected to find the dead body of Jesus there, to anoint it with oil and spices. But the body of Jesus was not there. The tomb was empty. And the women also claimed that angels were at the empty tomb and that the angels had told them that Jesus is not there because he has risen from the dead. The second evidence is the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people. Uh, There were hundreds of people who publicly testified that they had seen the risen, the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. Verses 5 and 6 of our text tells us that Jesus appeared to all the disciples and then to more than 500 people at one time. Hundreds of people claimed to see the resurrected Jesus in multiple locations and on multiple occasions over a period of 40 days. Now, the reason why Christians believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened is because we believe that there is good evidence to believe that it really did happen. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact, just as, just as we believe many other historical facts. Uh, here are some other historical facts that I believe. I believe that Van Gogh was a real person and that he died in uh, 1890. I believe that Titanic actually sunk in 1912. I believe that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon in 1969. As a Christian, I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is as much a historical fact as all those other historical facts that I believe. And I don't believe all those other historical facts because I was there to see it for myself. I wasn't there to see any of it. In fact, much of the stuff that I believe as historical facts, I was not there to see for myself. If I only believed the historical facts that I got to see for myself, I wouldn't believe a lot of historical facts. But I believe those are historical facts because I believe the people who were there as eyewitnesses and they wrote about it. In essence, isn't that we all do? Isn't that what we all do when we believe any historical fact? We're believing the accounts that were left to us by others. And so I believe in the resurrection of Jesus because I believe the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people and they left us their accounts. You see, as Christians, we know that dead people do not come back to life. We are not ignorant of science. Uh, We know that there is no coming back from the dead. But we also believe in a God who is able to raise the dead. In fact, if God were not able to raise the dead, he would not be God worth worshiping. As Christians, we believe that God did a rare, supernatural miracle when he raised his son Jesus from the dead. And that's why there is an empty tomb. And that's why there are hundreds of people who claim to see him alive after he was resurrected. And that's why Christians believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened and is a historical fact because we believe the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people who claimed to see Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead, and they proclaimed it, they wrote about it, they left us their accounts, even at the cost of their own lives. So the first thing that our passage talks about is the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Next, let's talk about the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is central foundational, and absolutely necessary for the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, the Christian faith collapses. 
In verses 12 to 19, the Apostle Paul said that if Jesus was not actually raised from the dead, then that meant three things. First, according to verses 14 and 15, it means that he and all the other apostles were liars. They had been preaching everywhere that God raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the central theme of all of their preaching. Did you know that? It was not the death of Jesus, but rather the resurrection of Jesus that was the central theme of all apostolic preaching. But if God did not actually raise Jesus from the dead, then they were misrepresenting God, and they had been preaching a gigantic lie. Second, according to verse 17, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then that means that our faith is useless. You see, if we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, but if in fact he was not raised from the dead, then we are fools who have been deceived and our faith is worthless. You see, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is a fraud. It is worthless. And third, according to verse 19, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied of all people. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, and if we have been believing a lie, and if we have been following and obeying a dead Jesus who cannot actually save us from sin, death, and hell, then we, of all people, are the most to be pitied. You see, if Jesus is still dead, if his body is still buried somewhere in Palestine, then we all gave up way too much to follow a lie. We follow Jesus for nothing. We are pitiable fools. All that to say, without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian faith, your faith, my faith, is useless and worthless. I think that brings us to only uh, one of two options. Option number one is this. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the Christian faith is worthless and we ought to reject it. And the people who believe that Jesus is risen and alive, the people who believe that Jesus is coming back again one day to restore the world, when in fact he's dead and he's never coming back, then those people ought to be pitied as fools. Or, here's option number two. But if Jesus is indeed raised from the dead, then our Christian faith is precious, and we ought to embrace the Christian faith. In fact, those who ought to be pitied are those who do not believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. I think those are really the only two options before us, and it all depends on this. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? It all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the Christian faith either stands or falls on the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus is still dead, if his body is still buried somewhere on earth, then our Christian faith is worthless, we have all believed a lie, and who knows what happens after we die. But if Jesus was indeed raised from the dead, then that changes everything. That means that everything that Jesus said about himself, about God, about the forgiveness of sins, about eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth, about a steadfast, unconditional love that we can never lose, all of that is gloriously true. It's true. So the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely necessary for our Christian faith. Lastly, I want to talk about the hope of our own resurrection. 
You see, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our own resurrection, that we who believe in, we who belong to Jesus will also be resurrected one day. In verses 20 to 23, the Apostle Paul said that the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of the general, uh, of the general resurrection that all believers will experience one day. Now, the first fruits was the earliest part of the harvest, and it was a pledge and a guarantee that the rest of the full harvest was coming. And the first fruits were also a sample and a preview of what the rest of the harvest would be like. You see, a farmer could tell what the rest of the harvest was going to be like by looking at and by tasting the first fruits. You see, if the first fruits were small and not very tasty, then he knew that the rest of the harvest would be small and not very tasty. But if the first fruits were healthy, plump, and delicious, then the rest of the harvest he knew would be healthy, plump, and delicious. So the first fruits were a sample and a preview of the rest of the harvest. And when the Apostle Paul called the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection of all believers, he was saying that the resurrection of Jesus was not only a pledge and a guarantee of our resurrection, but that it was also a preview of our resurrection. You see, one day we who belong to Jesus will be raised from the dead. And we will be raised with the same kind of body that Jesus was raised with. And according to verse 23, the resurrection of our bodies will happen on the day when Jesus comes again, on the day of his return. Now, there is a sad and a sobering truth that I think we all need to come to terms with. And that truth is this. All of us will die one day. Every single person in this room will face death one day. Not one of us will be able to escape it. Uh, if you're young and healthy, um, uh, you probably think you're going to live forever, right? You hardly ever think about death. I know, I was just like you. I was young once. But as you get older and as you start to attend more funerals than you do weddings, and as you feel your own body wearing down and breaking down, you will become quite convinced that death is inevitable for you as well. Uh, the, uh, the church that I pastor in Virginia is getting older, and many of our members are burying their parents. I have officiated many funerals for the parents of our members. But before long, we will be burying not just the parents of our members, but we're going to be burying our members themselves, as many of them are now entering into their 60s. Um, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, we will be burying more and more members of our church family. It is a sad and depressing thought. Um, but already, I, in the past three years, I've officiated far more funerals than I, than I have weddings. Even my own stage of life is taking me there. But there is good news uh, for us. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that when we die... We will not stay dead. When Christians die, our spirits are immediately resurrected, and our resurrected spirits go to be with Jesus in heaven, but our bodies are buried in the ground. But on the day when Jesus returns, our dead bodies will be resurrected, just as Jesus' body was resurrected, and our resurrected bodies will be reunited with our resurrected spirits. And then in our resurrected bodies, we will live forever in a resurrected world. 
which the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. You see, the gospel says that the whole world, this whole world, the whole cosmos that we live in will be resurrected as well. Verse 24 says this, Then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 21, the apostle Paul said this, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Um, I love this quote by Pastor Tim Keller on the restoration of the world. Let me read it for you. He writes, All the effects of sin, all the decay of the world will be healed. Not only will there be physical liberation from disease, aging, and death, but there will be social liberation from poverty, war, racism, and crime that infest our world now, as well as psychological liberation from fear, guilt, shame, and despair that infect us now. The gospel says that the resurrected Jesus is also the returning Jesus. And one day when Jesus returns, he will fully restore this broken world. This broken and decaying world will be transformed into the new heavens and the new earth. And on that day, everything wrong will be made right and everything broken will be healed. On that day, there will be no more COVID, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more sickness. On that day, there will be no more wars, um, no more racism, no more violence, no more abuse and no more injustice of any kind. On that day, there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more suffering, and no more death. And verse 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, when Jesus returns, he will destroy death and all the effects of death, and he will heal everything. Every wound, every pain, every suffering, every injustice, and every sadness you have ever experienced and suffered in your life, God will heal everything. As the song goes, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that God cannot heal. And verse 28 says that all of this will happen so that God may be all in all. You know, what makes the new heavens and the new earth so glorious is not just the absence of the bad things that make us sad, but also the presence of God, which makes us glad. What makes the new heavens and the new earth so wonderful is not only that there will be no more suffering, but also the God who loved us and the God who suffered for us, he will be there, and his presence will delight us and satisfy our souls. See, right now we have God by faith, but in heaven we will have God by sight. Right now we have God in part, but in heaven we will have God in fullness. This is what makes the new heavens and the new earth so glorious. Not only the absence of all the things that make us mad and sad, but more importantly, the presence of God himself, because he will make our hearts glad, truly, fully, and eternally Glad, glad in the ways that we long to be glad today, but we never are. I don't know about you, but sometimes it is moments after my highest highs and highest joys on earth that I am profoundly sad because it just doesn't last very long. But one day, 
the joys and the delights and the contentment that you long for will be experienced and it will be forever. And it will never diminish. That is what awaits us in heaven because God awaits us in heaven. In heaven, God will be all in all and we will know joy unspeakable. You know, I don't know your stories, but I know enough to know this, that a lot of you, if not all of you, are experiencing some sort of sadness right now. Uh, some of us are sick with COVID and we can't be here in person, so you're watching online. Uh, some of us have family members who are really sick, struggling with serious things like cancer or dementia. Some of us have aging and elderly parents, and we don't know how much more time we're going to have with them. Some of us have already buried our parents. Uh, some of us, um, uh, in my church back in Virginia, uh, a younger man who I have discipled for years, uh, he just lost his wife to cancer. She was only 45. Uh, she left behind two twin boys who are only now in 10th grade. Um, every time I think about my brother and just the sadness and the grief that I see in his face, I know that he wonders if his sadness will last forever. And some of us have experienced uh, deep disappointments and hurts in our families, in our workplaces, and even in our relationships. Some of you have real painful relationships, either with your parents or with your children. There's alienation, there's estrangement, and there's pain. You see, the older we get and the longer we live in this broken world, the more reasons we will have for sadness. I know that I do. So was Van Gogh right? Will sadness last forever? Van Gogh was a brilliant artist, but he was wrong. You see, the gospel says that one day the resurrected Lord Jesus will come again. And when he does, death will be swallowed up by life and sadness will be swallowed up by joy unspeakable. One day, everything sad will become untrue. Uh, Maria was a friend of mine and she died of cancer at a young age. And I had the privilege of uh, serving as her pastor for a few years. Uh, we would be the same age today if she were still living. She married one of my good friends. His name is uh, Pastor Daniel. Uh, Maria was diagnosed with breast cancer in her early 30s, just before she got married to Daniel. But they got married anyway. And Maria fought cancer for the entirety of her marriage to Daniel. And toward the end of her life, as her body was weakened from cancer and the cancer treatments, it was too hard for Maria to come physically to church. So one Sunday afternoon, I went to Maria and Daniel's house, along with a few other members from our church family. We wanted to do a small worship service for Maria. We sang a few songs. Um, I preached a sermon to Maria, and then we shared in the Lord's Supper together. And after the Lord's Supper, I remember as her pastor, I'm praying for Maria and for her healing. And I prayed, Father, we pray that you will heal Maria, and I know that you will heal her. Pastor Daniel later told me that he remembers thinking that at that moment, what's Pastor Owen doing? What's he talking about? Why is he giving her false hope? And he began to get upset on the inside as he was listening to this impossible prayer. 
And then I continued to pray. I know that you will heal her. If not today, then on the last day. If not in this life, then in the life to come. And if not today, then on the day of her resurrection. Maria passed away on March 21, 2011, over 11 years ago. God chose not to heal Maria on that day. But we know that God will heal her on the last day, 100% guaranteed. When Jesus comes again, he will give her a new, resurrected, and perfect body that can never again get cancer. And God will raise Maria's body on the last day, and it will be reunited to her spirit, her spirit which is living and rejoicing right now in the presence of Jesus at this very moment. And just as Jesus raised, uh, and just as God raised Jesus' body from the dead, God will raise Maria's body from the dead. And he will also raise your loved one in Christ that you've lost to death as well. You see, in this life, we all experience sadness. But sadness will not last forever. See, the resurrected Lord Jesus, he is coming back. And on that day, death will be destroyed and everything sad will become untrue. Friends, that is our blessed and living hope. And may that hope give us strength and comfort that we need as we endure the sufferings and the sadnesses of this life and as we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us one day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you... You yourself were well acquainted with sadness and you know and you see the sadnesses that each and every one of us carry in our hearts. But thank you, Jesus, that sadness, our sadness, will not last forever because you are raised from the dead, because you are living right now, because you are reigning right now, and because you will return one day and when you do, you will make all things right and all things new because of this great hope. We know that our sadness one day will be swallowed up by joy. And it is for that day we wait and long and yearn. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our hearts are yours. Amen.